0: All right. Uh, Good evening, brothers and sisters in the faith. Thank you for attending our first episode of Bible Questions and Answers. But maybe I shouldn't call it the first episode of Bible Questions and Answers because we have been doing uh, these types of lessons in the past. However, we shall devote Tuesdays at 8 o'clock p.m. Pacific Standard Time to address the questions that you pose for us. And we're quite excited because of the outpouring of questions coming from our viewers and we do love to share our faith and also the words of God that attempt to answer those questions. Uh, and so before we go ahead and proceed uh, to our Bible questions and answers episode four tonight, let us first stand for our opening prayer. Heavenly Father, yes. Yahuwah Abba, our God, Amen. we are truly thankful to you. Yes, because amen. of the life and strength that you have bestowed upon all of us. Amen. Thank you for blessing our dedication worship service yes, so by moving us with the power of your Spirit yes, to amen. devote and commit ourselves to you completely. Amen. We ask you, loving Abba, to be with us tonight yes, as amen. we study your holy words and commandments. Amen. Yahusha, our King, our Lord, and Mashiach, yes, oh Lord. may you guide us and be with us yes, throughout our study this evening. That yes. we may fully benefit from the teachings of our Abba. Amen. Father, please forgive all our sins. Yes. We ask Amen. everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahushua HaMashiach. Amen. Amen. Okay, greetings to everyone. And we do hope that you will all benefit from the study of the words of our Abba uh, this evening. The questions we're going to tackle today are the following. Is it a sin to use the word church? Church. Is it appropriate to celebrate Christmas? Does Yahusha Christ forbid oath-taking? And how can we show honor to toxic or abusive parents? So let's begin with the first question. And it goes something like this. Let me see if I can show it. There you go. So, so good to find worshippers of the Messiah here in the Philippines. So pronounce his name properly as Yahusha. I have been born again uh, since I was 14 years old. Now I'm 41, but only recently learned the correct way to say his personal name. Is there a Bible that is translated in English but includes his correct names? Yes, there are several English translations. The ones that I personally have are the following. Um, There is the Hallelujah Scriptures. There is also the Bashura for believers, Yahushua. Take note of the word Bashura, which I believe means uh, scriptures. And so in this translation, it translates Yahuwah, the names of Yahuwah God and Yahusha HaMashiach in its proper uh, transliteration. We also have B-Y-N-V in two volumes, the Old Testament and the New Testament. We also have the Sefer translation. And not only do we have the Sefer translation, we have also the dabar, dabar, the word of Yahuwah. So there are indeed translations which correctly transliterate the personal name of Abba, Yahuwah, and also the Mashiach, Yahusha, the Christ. I'm sure there are more English translations that I do not presently have. And so you can probably check online or Amazon, and I'm sure you will find uh, translations, more English translations, which contain the name of Yahuwah and Yahusha. So we're very happy that so many more people are now recognizing the Tetragrammaton as the divine and personal name of God, and rightly so because it is the will of Abba that people know Him and His name, know Yahusha, the Son of God, and also His name. Now, when it comes to translations of the Bible, we have to be careful, and we need to understand completely that no translation of the Bible is perfect. You get that? Because there's always going to be bias on the part of the translator or the translators that make it to the translated rendition of scripture. Remember, what was inspired are the original text, not the translations of the original text. And so when it comes to having all these different translations, we need to have in the back of our minds to handle well the scripture so that we do not fall into the errors of some interpretation. And so what is the guidance of Apostle Paul as we study the scriptures together using different translations of the Holy Bible? Corinthians chapter 2 verse 13, these things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And So when we study the words of God and we use different translations, we compare them to each other. In other words, what Apostle Paul is teaching us here, when we read a passage of scripture, for example, we're reading 1 Corinthians 2 verse 13. When we read a specific passage, we need to compare it with spiritual things. In other words, we need to check its context. What does that mean? We need to understand how the specific passage in question is framed that is contained in the chapter to where the passage belongs. Not only that, we need to also check for internal validity by checking it against the entire or holistic message of the entire scriptures itself. So we check it within the context of the chapter and within the context of the entire scripture so that we can properly be guided when we study the scriptures verse by verse passage by passage. If we do that with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we will not be led into error. Instead, we shall be led into the truth and the path of everlasting life, okay? All right, let's go to our next question. Hello, you mentioned that the word church has pagan origins. Does it mean it's wrong? Does it mean it's a sin to use the word church? What do you think? Do you think it's wrong? to use the word church? For example, you're singing a hymn and there's the word church. Is it wrong to use the word church because it came from poor pagan origins? And when we speak about church and its pagan origins, I think for those of you who who did not study with us concerning what the word church is about, we studied and looked into the etymology of the word church. Now, when we look into the etymology of a word, it simply means the origin of a word because all words have an origin, right? It perhaps came from another language and that language came from another language and we keep going backwards and backwards and backwards. And so when we look at the etymology of a word, we want to find where it came from, its origin and inherent meaning. And so when we looked at the 1828 Webster's Dictionary for church, it contains the following church. It comes from the Saxon, the Anglo-Saxon word, Sirke, this was also mentioned in the online etymology dictionary church, Old English Sirke or Sirke. And when we look at Sirke in the Britannica Encyclopedia, we find it is the daughter of Helios, the sun God. Hence, we kind of postulated the possible pagan origin of the word church. However, even if the word church has a pagan origin. Okay, I'm saying if, we're not completely certain. But if the word church has a pagan origin, does it mean it's wrong to use the word church? Does it mean it's a sin to use the word church? It is not wrong. It's not sin to use the word church. You know why? Because even if it has pagan origins, we need to understand something about language. It changes, right? It's evolving. This is why the meaning of a word today is different from the meaning of the word several 50, 10 uh, year, decades ago, right? It just changes. So what is important when it comes to the word church is what it means today. And so today, the word church has nothing to do with sirke, does it? When we say church, do we have in mind cirque, the daughter of the sun god Helios? no. Yes, it had maybe, maybe it had that origin, but today it doesn't mean that because if we're going to always be looking into the pagan origins of words, we won't have any words left to use because practically all words come from some kind of pagan source, right? For example, the days of the week, like Thursday, you know what the etymology of the word Thursday is? Fifth day of the week, Old English, a contraction, it literally means Thor's day. Isn't Thor a pagan son of God? Does it mean we cannot put Thursday in our daily planner? Are we going to erase that from our calendar? Probably not. Because what we know today is the word Thursday is the fifth day of the week. The one that comes after Wednesday and before Friday, right? So when you have all these words that we're using now, in fact, even some of the practices that we have have pagan origins for example how many here got married and in your marriage you gave uh, rings you gave rings to each other husband and wife how many here you have a wedding ring i think almost every one of us have wedding rings did you know that it has a pagan origin too right this is why we're not going to bog ourselves down with you know identifying pagan names and pagan origins having said that why did we choose ecclesia or why do we choose Uh, Assembly instead of church when we registered as an assembly because in the Greek what is the word that is used? Ekklesia and the word ekklesia the Greek word ekklesia is precisely and more appropriately translated assembly because the word assembly emphasizes the people not the Building today, what is the emphasis of the word church in Webster's Dictionary today? I'm not talking about 1800s, 1900s, but today the word church. The first entry in its definition is a building. So the primary emphasis is on the building. This is why when people speak about church, they say, "Let's go to church," like a physical location. However, and the third entry is the one that we really want. A body or organization of religious believers, that is the assembly. This is why what we want to emphasize are the people and not the building. This is why the appropriate translation of ecclesia is not church but assembly, hence, assembly of Yahusha. Okay. However, please don't get us wrong, it's not a sin to use the word. Church, because underneath the entries or one of the definitions of the word church is a religious body or body of believers. Okay, let's go to our next question. Was Brother Felix Wai Manalo wrong for calling the people of God Church of Christ? Was Erdi also wrong for not correcting it? I got this um, audio message and I kind of basically summarized the question into the following questions because Brother Felix Manala Manalo registered the church as Church of Christ. Right? Not Assembly of Yahushua. And after the passing of Brother Felix Manalo, Brother Erdi did not correct it. And he just so happens to be someone who did much research. And why did Brother Eranio, not, Eranio Manalo did not change the name of Church of Christ into Assembly of Yahushua? Was Car Ka- Erdi also wrong for not correcting it? And so if we were to ask the question, is Church of Christ wrong? What is our answer? Church of Christ is not wrong, but... It is not yet complete. It's not precise. It needs to be completed and refined. You see, there's something we need to understand about the work of God during our time. Actually, the work of God ever since the very beginning after mankind failed to comply with the will of God. What is that? What is the work of God? The book of Acts 3 verse 21, for he must remain in heaven until the time for the final restoration of all things, as God promised long ago through his holy prophets. That, pro- that promise of God started in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve fell, God made a promise to restore all things through the seed of the woman. Remember that? Who is the seed of the woman? Yahusha, Hamashiach. This promise was confirmed through the prophets. This is why they preached about this promise of restoration. And so, what the Bible wants us to understand is this: from the time of the beginning up until the last day, the last of the ages, right before Yahusha will return, there is the work of restoration. Okay, restoration. And so, when we have the work of restoration, what? How is that done? How is the process of restoration done? Ephesians three four to five. As you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not, did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by His Spirit, He has revealed it to His holy apostles and prophets. What do we need to understand about God's work of restoration? God's work of restoration is not completed in just one generation. This is why God's plan all of it, its totality was not revealed to Moses or to Abraham or to the prophets. It was revealed peace by peace. It was restored peace by peace. So one generation may have a peace. The next generation may not may have another peace. But the totality of God's plan is not revealed in just one generation. That's why it's called what? Restoration. This is why the Bible says the restoration of all things, because Yahushua has not yet returned. It only means God is still restoring things to its proper place. Even Brother Iran himself said, remember, in his homely there in Jerusalem, he said, when it comes to the things that must be restored, we do not know what they are. Only God knows. And so it's up to God to restore all Things And so we wait for God to restore everything to its final completion. And when God restores things, according to Apostle Paul, what is the nature of that piece by piece restoration? In Corinthians 13, 9 to 10, For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. You see, All the work of the prophets, even the apostles, because the apostle Paul is the one speaking here. He is not claiming he has all the knowledge, is he? He says he has part of it. The prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, they had parts of it. Abraham and Moses, they had parts of it, right? And so it's not given incompleteness in one shot. It's a process of restoration revealed in parts And when the completion comes, then the imperfect disappears. What does that mean? In other translations of Corinthians, for our knowledge is fragmentary, right? Incomplete and imperfect. And our prophecy, our teaching is fragmentary, incomplete and perfect. But when the complete and perfect, the total comes, the incomplete and perfect will vanish away because become antiquated, void, and Superseded. This is called restoration. It's called growth, completion. This is refinement. This is why the Bible and the people of God are always changing. This is why the people of God today don't look like the people of God during the days of Moses. There's always that change. Towards what? Towards completion, towards perfection. Hence, the work of God is restoration towards perfection. And in the process, he's refining everything that we are doing. This is why it's not, we do not say the church of Christ is wrong. It's just not yet what? Complete. It needs to be completed. It needs to be refined. Did Brother iranio Manalo himself testify that the church, the people of God, will be called by the name of, Of the Christ in this November 11, 2001 lesson, it says here, what what unique characteristic distinguishes God's sons and daughters who were prophesied in Isaiah 43, 5 to 6? The Bible says they are called by God's name, right? Follow-up question, what is the name of God by which his sons and daughters are called? Then he cites John 17, 9 to 11, the name given to Christ. And you look at the highlighted part towards the end, the notes of clarity, the name that Christ possesses is the name that God gave him. So the name by which the sons and daughters will eventually be called is by the name that is given to Yahusha or to to the Christ. It's not the name Christ, but the name given to the Christ. Do you see the distinction there? This is why we need to understand that distinction. The people of God will be called by the name Will, will not be called by the name of Christ, right? The, the, the people of God will be called by the name of Christ and not by the name Christ. Do you see the difference there? It's not going to be the name Christ, but the name of Christ. What is the name of Christ? Yahushua. It is only today that we have figured out this name. Hence, it's only today that we apply that name And when we registered as an assembly. It's not a correction of Church of Christ. It is a refinement of Church of Christ. Is this biblical? Yes, because according to the prophecy, the third group will go through testing and also refinement, right? And when it says refinement, what does that mean? It means polishing up. After you go through the testing and you have like gold that's left, You refine and polish up that gold. You make it more precise. You make it more perfect. And so Church of Christ, the name in its perfected state is Assembly of Yahusha. This is more precise. Why? Because when it says Church of Christ, when you look at the word church, well, which definition of church are you referring to? Is it the building? The institution? What is it? No, it's the body. If it's the body, that is what? Assembly. Right? You see, more. it's more precise. It's more specific. And when it says Church of Christ, which is the Christ referred to there, the true Christ, the one that was given a name by which we are to be identified, and that is the name of Yahushua. Hence, Church of Christ is not wrong. It's correct, but it's not complete. It's not refined. What is the refined and perfected name? Assembly of Yahushua. Okay. All right, let's go to the next question. Is it appropriate for us to celebrate Christmas? Wow. How many here are in the Christmas mood? Brother Matty, are you in a Christmas mood? Kind of, yeah, you hear you hear Christmas songs. How many here enjoy listening to Christmas songs? Enjoy listening to Christmas songs? I think a lot of us, I mean, if we're gonna admit it, if we're gonna speak the truth, we like Christmas songs, right? Is it wrong to listen to Christmas songs? Is it wrong to watch a Christmas movie? How many here like to watch Charlie Brown's Christmas? (laughs) Nobody here kind of grew up watching Charlie Brown and the Christmas special, right? We kind of watch these cartoons. Is it wrong to celebrate Christmas? Well, before we answer that, we need to first understand what is Christmas anyways, right? What does Christmas mean to you? (laughs) What does it mean to all of you, Christmas? Well, according to... The new Schaaf Herzog Encyclopedia of Religious Knowledge. What is the meaning of Christmas? Before we get there, let's go to this one first. Yes. Religion, doctrine, and practice for use in Catholic schools. The word Christmas is composed of Christ and Mass. And the feast is so-called because on the day of the Mass, commemorating Christ's nativity is celebrated. The celebration is held on December twenty-five. Now we know what Christmas is. It is a day when there's a mass, right? Why do they have mass? It's a special kind of mass to commemorate the nativity, which is the birth of Yahusha V Christ. And so it's a celebration of the birthday of Yahusha HaMashiach. Now, when do they typically celebrate Christmas? December twenty-five. Now, where did that date come from, December 25? Here in the New Shave, I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing this correctly, the New Shave Herzog Encyclopedia of Religious Knowledge, Volume 3, page 47, an Armenian writer of the 11th century states that the Christmas festival invented in Rome by a heretic, Artemon, was first celebrated in Constantinople in three. 73. So who invented the Christmas festivities or festival? It was invented in Rome by a heretic named Artiman. When was it invented? In 373, in Constantinople. And so it was not in the Bible. The Christmas festival, as we know it today, does not derive from the Bible. It was invented by Rome by a heretic named Artemon. Well, where did the December 25 date come from? Handbook of Christian Feasts and Customs. The choice of December 25 was influenced by the fact that the Romans from the time of Emperor Aurelian to 75 had celebrated the Feast of the Sun God, Sol Invictus, the unconquered sun on that day. December 25 was called the birthday of the sun. And great pagan religious celebrations of the Mithras cult were held all through the empire. Let's not underestimate the influence of the pagans in shaping Christianity when it was adopted by the Roman Empire. Remember Emperor Constantine? Because prior to Constantine during the first century, what did the Roman Empire do against Christians? They hunted them down. They persecuted them and killed them, right, for sport, for the fun of it. They would torch them up, lit them up, light them up until they, they're trying to, confet, trying to get them to be loyal to the Roman Empire and discredit Yahushua. But they would not do that because of their love for Yehusha and their loyalty to our king. And so they would be killed, thrown to wild beasts. They were persecuted for such a long time until Constantine came. And when Constantine came, he passed the Edict of Toleration. What does that mean? It made the practice of Christian religion legal. Not only that, it became the official religion of the Roman Empire. However, in his desire to have and set up a powerful Roman Empire, he wanted to unite everything and mix everything together. And so he combined the ideas of pagan religion with the tenets of the Christian faith. So he mixed it all up together. And so Christianity mixed up with pagan ideas and beliefs developed into a hybrid type religion, which eventually became Catholicism, right? This is why a lot of the Christmas celebrations today was that were actually developed and can be traced to the Roman Catholic Church, including December 25. Where did that come from? It was to combine the birthday of the sun god with the birthday of the son of God. So they said, "Okay, he's a son of God. We should give him a birthday. Let's make it December 25 because the sun god happens to celebrate his birthday on December 25." And so they made Yahushua have the birth date of December. Twenty-five. However, is that biblical? According to scholars who study the Bible, when is the actual, the actual date of birth of Yahusha? Dr. William Smith's dictionary of the Bible, the date of the birth of Jesus, and the month and, and the month and the day, have each been the subject of much debate without any definite settlement. The various opinions have suggested nearly every month in the year. Uh, Chindorf and Weisler say that Jesus could hardly have been born before the 1st of January, 750, and suggest February was the latest date probable. Gresswell says that April 5 or 6 must be the day of his birth. Dr. Robinson supposes it could not have been later than the autumn, 749. Lardner fixes the time about the middle of August. I'm in favor of that one or the middle of November. Clement of Alexandria says some some place the day on April 20, and others May 20. The 25th of December, as the day, dates from the traditions of the 4th century. So all these scholars have their own different ideas as far as when the actual date of birth of Yahusha is. It's not in the Bible. I wish it was, right? I wish we can go to the Bible and look at, okay, when was Yahusha born? Ah, August 21. Oh, no, we don't have that right so we can only speculate because of all these different speculations no one can come up with a final definitive date they just went back to the tradition what was that december 25 and so it is even today december 25 is a sign as the birthday of yahusha the christ however even though we do not know the exact date of birth is it wrong is it wrong to celebrate the birthday of yahusha What do you think, would it be wrong? Is it wrong to celebrate the birth of Yuhusha? I don't think so. Why? Well, the book of Luke, chapter two, eight down to 14. There were some shepherds in that part of the country who were spending the night in the fields taking care of their flocks. This is why the December date is not plausible because in December in Bethlehem, it'd be too cold for the shepherds to be out in uh, in in the flock, taking care of the flocks, right? This is why a summer day is probably more probable. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone over them. They were terribly afraid, but the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. I am here with good news for you, uh, which will bring great joy to all the people. This very day in David's town, Bethlehem, right, your Savior was born, Christ the Lord. And this is what will prove it to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great army of heaven's angels appeared with the angel singing praises to God. Glory to God, the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom he is pleased. Is it wrong to celebrate the birthday of Yahusha, our king, our savior? I don't think so. Because when he was born, who celebrated? We celebrated. The angels, the angels celebrated. Mm -hmm. How do they celebrate? By giving gifts. Is that what they did? How do they celebrate? By singing praises to God. This is why if you were to ask me, is it wrong to sing Christmas music? Well, it depends on the music you're singing, right? Because when you listen to the lyrics of some of the Christmas songs, especially the classics, it has a nice message, doesn't it? Who is being glorified? Is it not Yahuwah our God? Is it not Yahusha Mashiach? How then can you say it's wrong to to listen to Christmas music? It all depends on the message that is being appreciated, right? This is why we cannot categorically say it's wrong to listen to Christmas music. You're gonna be cursed if you listen to Christmas music. No. Is it good to praise God? Yes. But when is the birthday of Yahusha? We don't know. Does it matter? No. Why? Because if we will fulfill Yahusha's purpose for being born, then we are able to meaningfully celebrate the birthday of Yahusha. So what is the purpose of Yahusha? Why was he sent to us? Why was he born? Let's read the book of Galatians 4 3 to 7. It was by the same, it's it was the same way with us. When we were children, we were slaves to the principles of this world. But when the the right time came, God sent his son into the world. A woman gave birth to him, and he came under the control of God's laws. God sent him to pay for the freedom of those who were controlled by these laws so that we would be adopted as his children. Because you were God's children, God has sent the spirit Of his son into us to call out, Abba, father. So you are no longer slaves, but God's children. Since you are God's children, God has also made you heirs. What is God's purpose in sending out his son born under a woman? A woman gave birth to him so that we will no longer be slaves of the principles of this world. Instead, we will be controlled by the laws of God. So the birth of Yahusha, its purpose was to give us freedom, so we can become who we who we who we truly are. What is that? The sons and daughters of God. And so, how then can we properly celebrate the birthday of Yahusha by living our life not under the the principles of this world, or not according to the laws of this the the principles of this world? but under and according to the laws of God, right? This is the purpose. It was we were given freedom to live our lives as children of God. And so when we were given freedom to live our lives as children of God, what must be our purpose day by day by day in our life? The book of Romans 8:29, for God knew His people in advance, and he chose them to become like His son. So that his son will be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. How can we properly celebrate the birthday of Yahushua? As some might say, what gift must we give him? Because when we have birthdays, there's this custom of gift giving. Uh, perhaps that's a, that has a, a pagan origin when you give gifts. But uh, when it comes to Yahusha, I think it's so important. His birth is so important. It should not be limited to just one day. What do you think? It should be celebrated every day. This is why the proper way to celebrate the birth of Yahusha is for us every day to become more and more like who? Like his son, yeah, God's son, Yahusha, right? That's the proper way. It's the best way to do that. For us, that's what we mean when we celebrate the birth of Yahusha. We celebrate it, not just on one day. We celebrate it every day. And how do we celebrate that day? By living our life in a way that we become mature sons and daughters of God, we become more and more like Yahusha Hamashiach himself in the way we speak, in the way we think, in the way we act. If we're able to do that, then we will benefit from the birth and the death of Yahusha Hamashiach. Does it mean? Because this is what we believe about the birthday of Yahusha, does it mean? If we will be given a gift, for example, during the holiday season, you're going to get a gift. Does it mean it's wrong to give a gift back? Is that wrong to give a gift back? If you're invited to a party and it's a Christmas party, is it wrong to participate in a party? Well, it depends. This is what Apostle Paul said. The book of Corinthians 9, 19 and 22. Even though I'm a free man with no master, I become a slave to all people to bring many to... Christ, we belong to Yahusha, right? How? Because we were baptized. We're now subject to the authority of Yahusha. We belong to him. However, we must not be content that we belong to Yahusha. What must be our objective in life as well? We have to bring people to Yahusha, right? We have to do evangelistic work. We have to share our faith. Verse 20, when I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I too lived under the law. Even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring Christ to those who are under the law. When I'm with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. And so, what should be our objective? As we live our life here on earth, awaiting the return of our Mashiach, we should try to bring many to who? Yahusha. How do we do that? Find common ground. Apostle Paul's message here is do not build walls. Build what? Bridges. you get that? Do not build walls. Build bridges. Let's say you were given a gift. You're going to say, well, I'm not going to give a gift back to you because, you know, I don't celebrate Christmas. Wait a minute. Apostle Paul said, when I'm with the Gentiles, when I'm with the Jewish people, I look at their customs, right? And if their customs are not against the law of God, The love of Christ, what does he do? He lives like a Jew, he lives like a Gentile. Why? So he can win them over. This is why if someone invites you to a Christmas party, should I go? It depends on what they're doing in that party. Are they having mass? Then you shouldn't go. Are they having religious festivities? Then maybe you shouldn't go. But if it's just an ordinary get together, fellowship amongst friends during the holidays, Why not? It's your opportunity to build a bridge, to bring people to who? To Yahusha. Remember, we have to build bridges, not walls. We find common ground. And so if that common ground does not violate the laws of God and the laws of Christ, let us do our best to reach out to the people we love so that we can bring them also to the Christ. Okay. All right. Let's go to our next question here. Okay, uh, someone commented, I just saw your oath taking on YouTube. And I want to ask you about this verse, Matthew 5, 37, especially Matthew five thirty What is your opinion about uh, the verses? Well, thank you, Paul. And there's the verse that was cited. And let's go ahead and take a look at Matthew 5, 37. The one speaking here is Yahusha. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath. But keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one, that's the Yahusha statement. And so there are those who might be thinking, you shouldn't be taking oaths because Yahusha says we should not have oath taking. Well, is that what Yahusha is talking about here? When you look at the passage in verse 34, Yahusha says, but I tell you, do not swear at all. When Yahusha said, do not swear at all, what is he forbidding? What is he prohibiting if you look at the passage after he says do not swear at all colon right what happens what does it say after that you notice he said do not swear at all either by heaven number one or by the earth number two or by jerusalem number three and do not swear by your head number four what do you notice is not being invoked in that oath what is not being invoked in that oath What is missing? The name of God, right? And so Yahushua is talking about a specific kind of oath. An oath that does not invoke the name of God, but invokes what is created by God. Like what? The heavens, the earth, Jerusalem, your head. And so there's an oath that invokes these created things instead of invoking the name of God. What oath is that? Well, if you will understand, extra biblical literature indicates that many rabbis did not consider it a sin to break a vow if it was not made explicitly in the name of God. Oaths made in the name of heaven or even the gold of the temple were not regarded as ultimately binding. As we might expect from sinners, this led to people making oaths by persons or objects other than God to give them an out in case they did not keep their word. And so what was the specific kind of oath-taking Yahusha was forbidding people to take. It is the oath-taking where you are not committed to keeping it. This is why during the days of Yahusha, during the days of the people of Israel, there was a kind of vow that does not bind an individual. What kind of bind is that? What kind of oath is that? It's an oath when you don't involve the name of God. This is why even in the Mishnah, the Jewish Mishnah, which is the, the written uh, oral traditions of the Jews, their teachings, they have a spe- there's a specific section on oaths, the Jewish Mishnah, devotes one whole section called Shavuot, oaths, to an elaborate discussion of when oaths are binding and when they are not. The swearing of oaths had degenerated into a system of rules as to when you could lie and when you could not. Their use of oaths was like children saying, I have my fingers crossed so I don't have to tell the truth. And so during the days of Yehusha, a lot of the Pharisees were guilty of being false, what is it? Witnesses. You see, there are basically two kinds of oaths, right? An oath where you will promise to God that you will do something, and an oath where you're being asked, "Are you telling the truth? Or are you telling a lie?" When you're becoming a witness, right? And so, there are two kinds of oaths: an oath to take to take action to do something for God, and an oath in which you are called upon to testify about the truthfulness of someone or something. And so, you are you are to swear. An oath during the days of Yahushua and before that, many of the religious leaders were not willing to make an oath in the name of Yahuwah because they were false witnesses. And so instead of using the name of Yahuwah, what would they invoke? Heaven, earth, Jerusalem, the gold on the temple, my own head instead of the name of God. So when they were using that kind of oath, not invoking the name of God, you already know what that means. They're what? They're lying. (laughs) That's the one Yahusha was talking about. And so when this system was abused, when they codified it into the Shabbos, it was abused, especially by the Pharisees. And so what eventually happened? This is the abuse which Yahusha was addressing and trying to correct. It was the practice of swearing oaths in common conversations and especially making oaths by created things that were being addressed. Their flippant attitude about oaths and vows caused the Jews to be mistaken in their views of the sacredness of oaths. Oaths were connected with God, and to trifle with them was considered as trifling with God. And so when the people, the Jewish people, began to flippantly use oaths, they will Swear an oath by this name or by that name other than the name of God, you already know their intent. Their intent is not to be serious with their oath. It gives them a way out to lie. And this was a big problem. This is, this is why the prophet Zechariah mentioned in 8, 16 and 17, these are the things you shall do. Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Give judgment in your gates for truth, justice and peace. Let none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor and do not love a false oath for these things, for these are the things that I hate, says Yahuwah. It was rampant during the time of Yahusha, making false statements under an oath without using the name of God because that's the telltale sign that they were not telling the truth. This is why Yahusha said in Matthew 5 at the end, verse 37, simply let your yes be yes and your no, No, anything beyond this comes from the evil one. And so what Yahushua was addressing are the people who are testifying falsely. This is why they do not use the name of God, but only use the name of heaven, earth, Jerusalem, and their own head. Yahushua says, do not do that. Do not practice oath-taking that you are not serious about or you are Lying about. That is what was addressed by Yahushua. However, when it comes to making an oath of dedication to God, which is what we did, right? When making a promise of dedication to God, is this against the will of God? Oh, no. The Bible is replete with examples in the Old Testament of God's people making a promise, a vow that they will be devoted to him, right? Is that a wrong thing or a good thing? It's a good thing who was an example of one who did that. In Acts 18.18, so Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria, and Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off at uh, Centuria, for he had taken a vow. Did Paul make a vow? Yeah, he took the Nazarite vow. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing because he was making a promise A dedication of his life to who? To Yehovah our God and to his king, Yahusha HaMashiach. Not only Apostle Paul, right? Even an angel from heaven swore by oath. Revelation 10, 5 to 6. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him, by God, right? Who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that are in it the earth and the things that are in it and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be no delay, no longer. Who also uh, took an oath, an angel. How did he take his oath? He raised up his hand to heaven and he swore by him who lives forever and ever. Is that a wrong thing? You think the angel committed a sin here? Did he do something wrong here? No. When we took our oath last Saturday, we were making a promise to Yahuwah God, to Yehusha Christ, that we will love him and worship him, that we will love Yahusha and worship him, that we will proclaim the name of God, that we will love our, our fellow brethren and even those who are our enemies. That's the oath we made. Is that a good oath? Yeah. In fact, when Yehusha was here, he was basically asking his disciples to make an oath. How so? In the book of Matthew 16, 24 to 25, then Yahusha said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. Is that an oath? Yeah, <laughs> that is an oath. It's, it may not be a verbal oath, But it's an oath nonetheless. It is an oath of commitment, which is what an oath is. You commit yourself. How does Yahushua want us to commit ourselves? Deny yourself and take up his cross. And that's what we did Saturday. Taking up the cross of Yahushua to be stones, living stones in the hand of God, to be built upon him. This is why when we took that oath, it was for the glory of God, the glory of his son, Yahusha Hamashiach. Okay. Okay. Let's go to our final question for today. Hi there. I just had a question I hope would be answered. How do you deal with toxic parents? Covert narcissistic parents. How do you how do you know if it's covert narcissistic parents? In all my years as a Christian, I never had this question answered of how to show honor to toxic, abusive parents who don't have genuine love for you. They do exist. While trying to protect your mental health and well-being and continuing your path as a true Christian. This is a valid question, right? Because we all know God's will concerning the family. What is the will of God concerning the family? What What are his teachings that safeguard the family unit Composed of the parents and their children. What is God's will as taught by the Apostle Paul? In Ephesians 6, 1-4, it says, Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. For this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. So this is God's will for the family. You notice in this will, it has two commands. One for the children and one for the parents. Did you see that? It goes both ways. Apostle Paul recognized that. What is the command of God to the children? The Bible says, honor your father and mother. How important is this command to honor father and mother? The Bible says, If you do that, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on the earth. That's an awesome promise of God. This is why to honor your father and mother, like what the viewer mentioned, it is the path of a Christian life. It is what we need to do. Honor your father and mother. How do you honor your father and mother? In verse 1, it says obey them because they belong to The Lord, And so it says, obey your parents. That's how we honor our father and our mother. However, we need to know it's not an absolute obedience. Because if your parents will tell you to bow down to an image or an idol, will you still do that? Of course not, right? Because if they will tell you to do something that, that is flagrantly, blatantly against the will of God, we have to obey God first. Okay? So when it says here, obey your parents, it comes... With the condition that it is within the will of God. And so honor your father and mother by obeying your parents. That's one command of God for the family. What's the other command? Bible says fathers, parents. This is for parents. And I was kind of hoping the one who, hoping that the the one who gave this question have parents who are in the Lord. Right? That way they can also receive this admonition because this is for them. What does Yahuwah say to the parents? Well, through Apostle Paul, he says, Father, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. This is why a parent's attitude, if if he treats the child in such a way that provokes his or her anger, that's also against the will of God. This is why it's tough to be a parent, right? Because you have to figure out a way to do things and say things that will not provoke them to anger. Because if you provoke them to anger, it's not going to be a peaceful life. No one's going to be happy. So lose, lose. It's not a win-win. What we want is a win-win, right? And so it's all about the approach. And so parents have a responsibility, but children also have a responsibility. Now, let's assume that the parents mentioned in this context are not in the Lord, okay? They're not listening to the teachings of God. And so the the, the one who asks the question is someone who is not living with Christian parents. Well, what does he or she need to understand? What do we need to understand as children and as people? The book of Isaiah, 64, verse 6, all of us have been sinful. Even our best actions are filthy through and through. Because of our sins, we are like leaves that wither and are blown away by the wind. Let's understand, brethren, no parent is Perfect, right? Even the father of the year, the mother of the year, people will have flaws. The Bible even says our best actions are filthy through and through because all of us have been sinful. And so whether we like it or not, all parents in some level are toxic. (laughs) Am I right? Sometimes they will say things that they will regret later on, but having said that, it doesn't mean that we will not respect them anymore, right? Why? Because we know the right thing to do. What is the right thing to do? We will respect and obey even if they're not acting in their best, even when they are not speaking at their best. We still recognize the validity of God's command which is to obey your parents. Okay, well, the the, the person asks about your mental health. If you're going to be stuck with toxic parents, and when when I hear of toxic parents, I think maybe they're yelling all the time, yeah? They're yelling all the time, maybe saying bad words. They're provoking you, treating you in such a way, and you feel suffocated, right? And so the Bible says, respect them nonetheless. However, it doesn't mean there's nothing you can do about it. There's something you can do about it. What is that? The book of James, chapter 1, 19 and 21. This is what it says. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness of God, the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives. And humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. And so if we have people, not necessarily just parents, but if we have people that we are dealing with, we are living with, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a child, maybe it's a parent, and the interaction between these two parties is not really beautiful, we can even call it toxic. Where is the toxicity coming from? Usually toxic toxicity comes from anger. This is why the Bible teaches us about human anger. What does the Bible say about human anger? It does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So how do we deal with people who are quote-unquote toxic? The Bible says three things. What are they? Number one, be quick to listen. Number two, be slow to speak. Number three, be slow to get angry. I want you to keep in mind those three things because that's the key. You see, every time there's quote unquote toxic relationships, do you know what that means? Both parties are seeing are, are saying the same things. This is why this person who's saying, Oh, I have a to- my parents are toxic. I think the parents may be also saying, Oh, my child is toxic, right? It's usually that way. They feed off a negative cycle. It makes it worse. And so what we need to do is break out of the cycle, right? How do you break out of that negative cycle? Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. And the key part there is being quick to listen. If you look at the Greek word for listen, it is the word akou, akou, the Greek word 191 which means to be endowed with the facility, faculty of hearing, to hear. But I want to look at letter E, to comprehend, to understand, right? And if you look at Strong's definition at the last part, it says uh, to be noised, be reported, understand. And so what the Bible's telling us, whenever there's a problem in a relationship, doesn't matter what it is, There's a problem with communication. There's a disconnect, a misunderstanding somewhere, right? That's what needs to be fixed. And so when you have a parent who is always angry, you have a parent who is always toxic in the way he speaks, and the way he acts, what do we need to do? Be slow to get angry. What's the next one? Be quick to listen and be slow to speak. And so let's apply that in terms of a toxic parent, how to deal with toxic parents. Be slow to get angry, be quick to listen, be slow to speak. Be slow to get angry. Because if you're going to, if you're going to respond to an angry person with an angry attitude, what's going to happen? What's going to happen in, in your conversation? What is going to happen? Your parents are angry, and because they're angry, you become angry. You're both angry. What's going to happen to both of you? Does it? Do you resolve anything? Nothing gets done, right? You know, when a person's angry, if a person's angry and they're talking to you with an angry tone, do you know what your mind is saying to yourself? Your mind is telling you, I'm in danger, right? And so what do you do? You go into fight and flight mode. And when you are fight and flight mode, you can tell by your breathing. Your breathing is shallow and fast, rapid. Your breathing and so what do you do? You need to slow down. That's why the Bible says slow to get angry. Slow yourself down. How do you do that? Deepen and slow down your breathing. That's the first thing. Because if you will not deepen and slow down your breathing, you're going to add fuel to the anger that's already there. Right? And nothing's going to be resolved. Because if two angry humans are arguing about something, they're not going to resolve the situation. The first thing that needs to happen is one party needs to just chill, <laughs> right? They need to relax, deepen, and slow down your breathing. Because when you deepen and slow down your breathing, you take yourself out of fight and flight, which means blood flows to your brain. And you can think better. Because when you're fighting flight, blood goes from your brain to your limbs so you can fight and flight, right? And so relax, get the flow of blood back to your brain so you can think sharper and clearer and better so you can properly have a resolution to that situation. Afterwards, be quick to listen. What does that mean? We need to understand. And that's the thing. We're not just listening with our ears We're listening with our eyes and with our heart. We're trying to understand, like what? Observe what is happening in a situation. Identify your own feelings and needs. Maybe your parent will say to you, You're always going out. I don't want you to go out anymore. And they're yelling at you, right? How many here have had that conversation before? And so when your parents say that to you, you ask yourself, Okay, what are my feelings? Well, I feel hurt because. Why? Maybe because the need, my need a certain need is not being met, which is my parents don't trust me. Yeah, you know? and so every time we have a feeling, there's a need associated with that feeling. You need to identify what that is. You need to listen to yourself and identify your own feelings and identify your own needs. That way, you can tell your parent, you know, Dad, Mom, when you yell at me like that, I feel like you're treating me as a child, and that my Desire, my need for you trusting me is not being met. Listen to how I kind of diffuse the anger a little bit. And then maybe you can ask your dad, your, your mom, you know, why are you being so angry? Is it because every time I go out, your need for me to spend more time with you is not being provided? By asking that question, what happens? You diffuse the situation. Right, all of a sudden the need, because every time there is a, a, a toxic relationship, every time there is friction, there is anger, it's because there's always a need that's not being met. Identify that need by learning how to listen, right? And the Bible says, "Be slow to speak." You know, calmly assure them. You know, just because I go out doesn't uh, doesn't mean I'm not going to support you. I'll be here on this day, on this day. There's negotiation right? Calmly state your request. I request this from you. You know, uh, instead of being angry, let's talk about it in a peaceful and calm way, right? And so when we apply this, we provide an opportunity to communicate compassionately. We ask what they want to request from us, and we also make a request both ways, Right? That's what you call reconciliation, communicating with compassion. And this is not something that's easy to do because we haven't been trained to do this. What we're trained to do is if somebody's angry with you, what do you do? You shout back. That's what we're trained to do. That's what we've learned. Nobody taught us a different way. But the Bible now is teaching us a different way. The Bible is teaching us to step out of the negative cycle so that it dies off. How so? Be slow to get angry. Be quick to listen. Be slow to speak. When you do that, the negative spiral disappears and you're able to communicate compassionately. But what if even after all this, it doesn't work? Your parents are still the same. They don't change. What are we going to do? Does that mean we're going to disrespect our parents? No. This is what the Bible says in the book of First Peter Chapter 2, 19 to 20. For God is pleased with you when you do what you know is right and patiently endure unfair treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you are beaten down for doing wrong or for beaten if you are beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. Sometimes we just have to understand our parents come from a different culture a different time period, and we come from a different culture, different time, period. And so in this situation, when there's no communication being facilitated and there's only angry statements as a back and forth, as a child, I think we owe it to our parents to understand them and at the same time understanding that God knows what's going on. You notice what Apostle Peter says? God is pleased with you. He is pleased with you. When you do what is right and you patiently endure unfair treatment, maybe what your parents are doing is unfair. Maybe what they're saying is unfair. But if you still do what is right, the Bible says God is pleased with you. Doesn't that mean something to you? God knows. And if you still do what is right, you still honor your parents, even if they treat you unfairly, you still do it. God is pleased with you. I know whoever this person was who sent this, I know this is like a uh, a general answer, right? And it's the most we can do in this platform, which is why uh, I would suggest to this person who wrote in that he would apply or he would seek biblical coaching from us. This is why in the Assembly of Yahushua, we have what is called Project Isaac, Yeah. You know, Project Isaac before? <laughs> what is Project Isaac? Individual spiritual advising and coaching. So we will provide, you know, those who have situations and troubles and problems with opportunity to be coached, to be advised, so that they can grow as a Christian. Because something like this cannot just be resolved by having this lesson, it requires some coaching and advising, okay? And so what is the purpose of Project Life? Why do we provide spiritual advising and coaching? 2 Corinthians 1, four to 4-5, he helps us in all our troubles so that we are able to help others who have all kinds of troubles using the same help that we ourselves have received from God, just as we have a share in Christ's many sufferings. So also through Christ, we share in God's great help. What is the purpose of providing individual coaching, advising? Its purpose is to help all of us in times of our trouble. The same way God helped us, we help each other. What kind of help can we provide? The same passage. We provide compassion and comfort because life can be tough sometimes. We experience grief, anxiety, worries. We experience many things in life that we cannot possibly overcome on our own. And so with the help of the brotherhood, we help each other out with individual coaching and advising, and in the process, receive the comfort, the encouragement that comes from God. However, what is our main purpose and objective? In Colossians 1, verse 28, we proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. What is our purpose in providing this kind of service? It is so that we can admonish and teach Yahusha, so that everyone will become perfect in Christ. And so brethren, we do hope that all of us will benefit from the teachings of Yahuwah our God and Yahusha HaMashiach. This is our um, Bible study for today. If you have any questions Please submit your questions to info at assemblyofyahusha.org. That is our lesson for tonight. Let us stand and we shall pray together. Everlasting Father, yes. thank you so much for the guidance we have received. Yes. Your holy words indeed are complete. Yes, Everything that we face in this life yes. has already been answered by your scriptures. Amen. Your words are alive. They yes. apply and are relevant even to the very details of our life. Amen. And so we rely on them completely. Yes. So As we study them together, we ask that you please send forth your Holy Spirit. Yes. Yahuwah Abba, yes. you are our almighty father. Yes. May you take care of us through your words yes. every single day of our life. Amen. Yahushua, our king, yes. we also yes. proclaim you. We want to become mature like you, dedicate yes. our life to you. In all that we do. May you remember our brothers and sisters who are afflicted with disease, afflicted with any kind of trouble or pain. Help us that we may help each other. That together we can grow to become and to become more and more like you. Father, please bless your people always. Keep us safe and watch over our ways. Help us every day that we prepare for our salvation. We ask everything, Father. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahushua the Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.